0: Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Coppola Connections as ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsillibus. If you are a regular listener and you listened to the end of last week's episode you would already know that this week is a re-release. It's my conversation with the fantastic Mary Wilde all about Sofia Coppola's 2010 film Somewhere. Uh, this is a re-release to celebrate Sophia coppola's birthday which was just a mere two days ago on the 14th and with the recording schedule of my brand new podcast with daryl edge of the cage rage podcast getting to foe you things are just pretty tight at the moment so i thought i would celebrate by re-releasing this episode uh, it's a fantastic chat. I always love speaking to Mary and we really, really get into it. And if you haven't got enough of me talking about all things Sofia Coppola, you can head on over this week to listen to movies, films and flicks with the amazing Mark Hofmeier, where we discussed the soundtrack to Sofia Coppola's 2004 film lost in translation actually it might be 2003 uh maybe i get confused because it was the 2004 oscars to which it was nominated and i talked about that fairly recently but enough of this wastling uh obviously we spoil this film we have a good old chat about it and all that good stuff go and watch it if you haven't already but until then it's time to hire yourself some twin strippers get blackout drunk, break your arm, try and spend time with your daughter as we make some copula connections with Somewhere. Reasons shape your life. you be aware of five above. Seven ways to go to school. I need you to take Cleo when are you know to when you come back. I don't know. Seven ways to get ahead. Seven reasons to drop up. I would really recommend watching this trailer as this clip tells you everything and nothing at the same time. Time to check into the Chateau Mamont as we look at Sophia Coppola's fourth feature film, 2010's Somewhere, starring Stephen Dorf as a Hollywood bad boy, as he has the life that many would die for. We seem to see that that might not be everything, it might not be enough. Elsewhere in the Coppola family in 2010, Talia Shire starred in Con Man and Western Coppola Cage in The Raven. To help me navigate this Hollywood story and potentially Help me answer the question: Who is Johnny Marco? Is Freudian cinephile lecturer and host of one of my personal favourite podcast, Projections? Mary Wilde. how are you, Mary? Hi, I'm well. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very well. I'm glad. I'm glad we get to talk about um, such a I don't a weirdly personal film that yeah. is for how specific it is. It seems very relatable to to a, wi- a wider audience uh, i'm not sure if you feel that or such i things. do
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's a film that i feel is also very underrated or flies under the radar of a lot of people who might know other Sofia Coppola films so it's great to have the chance to kind of do a deep dive on it on this occasion thanks for
0: inviting me on your podcast no worries yeah as, as i said to you off 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 air there's this kind of thing that I have this theory of like middle child syndrome within Mm. the Coppola family and as it stands at the moment this is like slap bang in the middle of Sofia Coppola's filmography this being her fourth film of seven so yeah since Mm -hmm. so perfectly since the release of On the Rocks yeah it's perfectly centered and it's it kind of it, it gets treated like that and I guess I guess it's that thing after the bombast of something like Marie Antoinette, and the kind of character study. It, it was it was kind of destined to be um, likened very much to Lost in Translation, and kind of I guess Sophia Coppola would have had that that feeling of she's always going to be judged by that Os- Oscar winner. But um, yeah. obviously, you did a talk um, all about. Sophia Coppola's films titled Sophia Coppola the cinema of loneliness could you tell us a little bit about the course and like how you grouped those films together obviously you you kind of grouped them in pairs Uh,
1: yes I did so um what I did was I delivered the course for the Freud Museum so it's kind of like a psychological investigation of her films Mm -hmm. and I saw this pattern in her filmography obviously I just looked at the six you know the six films um i hadn't seen the latest release yet um and i noticed that the thing that seemed to bind them all together was i guess an approximation like a cinematic approximation of being a bit isolated or alone or how i like to describe it going through the phase of so-called liminality so like a liminal stage where Things feel really like ambiguous or ambivalent. Like we're not quite sure where we are located either physically or existentially. Mm -hmm. And it's a very disorienting um, time of life that occurs actually in the middle stage of a rite of passage. (laughs) So you're onto something there with the kind of like (laughs) the middle stage. sort of theme, um, but in the liminal stage, people stand really at the threshold between their previous way of life and you know, the way that that would historically structure their identity, but they're also kind of about to emerge into a new way of being. So it's kind of like this strange, I guess, rite of passage. I feel like in her films, we see that a lot, like the rite of passage theme. Um, so that's really how I grouped the films uh, for for the Freud Museum. Like you know, I was really interested in the lo- the sense of loneliness that that brings about and how that's then represented cinematically. So the way that I ended up grouping the films was I did a session on suspension.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that was looking at uh, loss and translation. At, sorry, virgin suicides and loss and trans translation and then um i was looking at decadence mm-hmm. so like the, the the kind of representation of excessive pleasures and materialism so obviously marie antoinette and the bling ring mm-hmm. and then finally i finished off with uh the theme of withdrawal like feeling um emotionally withdrawn withdrawn or physically withdrawn isolated so that's where i looked at somewhere and the beguiled
0: well yeah in this stage of Uh, sophia coppola's career there's this kind of like almost like tonal trilogy of exploring fame and i guess it's something that sophia coppola would have had to have dealt with her entire life and there's this almost like thing that she has been like (laughs) whether she wanted to or not was kind of thrust into fame i know there's a lot of like stuff about the the godfather part three and it you kind of get that sense that whether she wanted to or not, she was gonna be in that film, and I know it. Kind of like uh, listening to interviews with her, she kind of said, "Like I'm, twenty years later, like like on the press run for this, was like I'm kind of fed up with people asking me about that." And I, I think that this is a very like interesting film to talk about because it feels it feels weird, it, it weirdly personal to Sophia Coppola. Kind of, you can imagine certain situations especially the fact that kind of one of the pivotal moments in this film they take a trip to to italy which i know yeah. she has mentioned that her uh, is 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 from her own life she went to uh like a film festival in italy as a, as a child and they the the couple of children were kind of carted around for film locations like there's amazing footage of them in like um on the set of Apocalypse Now and stuff like that, and it's kind of like it's like if the family, if if Dad's making a film that that the whole entire family are going. But um, yeah, yeah. And that kind of that thing of like the, the the couple of family. When did you first become aware of them as this kind of? I don't know. I, I kind of have been describing them as almost like this this entity and this uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> almost like like a crime family, basically, but of, <laughs> of, of, of cinema. When did you first become aware of them?
1: Um, I guess I first became aware, first of all, of Francis Ford Coppola Mm -hmm. um, when I discovered The Godfather. And then I started, like, back in the days, like, I was in high school then. Mm -hmm. um, And a lot of my knowledge about cinema was through, like, film magazine, like, industry magazines. And um, then I would sometimes read um, features about... The Coppola family in Vanity Fair, or um, you know Hollywood Reporter, especially, mm-hmm. and there was always information about what all of them were up to at that <laughs> at that time, like in the nineties. Um, yeah, and I and then the very first Sophia Coppola film I ever saw was um, The Virgin Suicides. I saw it at a Montreal cinema where I'm from. Amazing. Um, When it first released in 1999, I was 20 years old then. And at that time, just seriously getting into art cinema. And I was also working at a video rental store part-time while I was at (laughs) university. (laughs) So that was perfect for me because I, in discovering her film and kind of her sensibility for art cinema, it made me more open to kind of finding more about her family and like her background. Mm Uh, and i was just obsessed as well at the time with the air soundtrack for the virgin suicides yeah well there's
0: this her soundtracks and this this film especially is a very it's a very interesting one for for soundtracks and yeah uh, it's like well yeah she seems to have a thing for uh for, for using uh, uh french artists whether it's air or obviously uh phoenix. Well, phoenix i'm not sure h- how far we can go to say that <laughs> they they really do a soundtrack for this film because it seems mm-hmm. to be two songs off of their album uh amadeus mm-hmm. uh, fe- uh, uh, yeah amadeus uh yes yeah, the 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 beethoven uh no mozart yeah, mozart, yeah, yeah referenced wow. al- uh, album the name of that album reference is of course wolfgang amadeus phoenix released in 2009 a year before this film with such singles as listomania 1901 and the two tracks mentioned are love like a sunset part one and part two open and close out this film uh yeah um and obviously at this point would have been sophia coppola's husband thomas mars the, the lead singer but um so What is your relationship with this film and yeah, why why is it you wanted to talk about it on this on this episode?
1: About Somewhere. Um well, it's a funny thing really because I first saw Somewhere here in London where I live now. I saw it when it first released in 2010 at the Curzon Soho. Um, I was actually on a date. I saw it with, on, it was, I think it was like a second date or something, or something with someone that at the time I was seeing, um, that relationship didn't last. I ended up um, meeting my husband two years later and met, you know, that there wasn't a very, it wasn't a very long relationship. But what was interesting was that it was our second date and we were sort of in that phase, we were just getting to know each other. So I said to him, oh, I really want to see this new Sofia Coppola film. I really love her films. And he wasn't like a film person at all. So it was a probably not the best choice for a date movie because it is a bit challenging. Like it's not a typical date movie or, or at least not with someone that you don't know very well. So I think throughout the screening, I was more worried about <laughs> him not Enjoying the movie, <laughs> then I, I wasn't really into it, so I I didn't enjoy it upon first release. I think I was just too, it was just too awkward, mm-hmm. but I have since obviously rewatched it because I did some research on it and I obviously lectured on it, and it, I really do enjoy it upon multiple watches. I always find something new in it, and mm-hmm. I feel like it's very nuanced and very. Um, as you say, very personal, you know, um inspired by her childhood experiences with her dad, and a lot of memories she had of living in hotels, partially, you know, inspired mm-hmm. the choice of the setting of this film in Chateau Marmont. Um, I, I'm also just very interested in that location, like the chateau yeah. in Los Angeles. It's just like an incredible building. It was built in 1929 and was modeled after the Château d'Amboise, which was a royal retreat in France in France's uh, Loire region. Mm-hmm. Um and the Loire Valley in fact. Um and it's uh, what I find about fascinating about the Château Marmont is that it's kind of both a long and short-term residence for celebrities and it's been described as <laughs> historically being populated by people either on their way up or their way down yeah um so it's like either if you see someone there it's either launching their career or they're spiraling into oblivion you know Mm -hmm. um so that's like an interesting space it has it seems to like evoke a lot of significance and be loaded with a lot of meaning in hollywood
0: yeah, in, in kind of like popular, pop, obviously like some tragic things have happened in there. Is it Bungalow Free with uh, John Belushi and yeah. you know, there's, a, there's a there's a Father John, like there's, yeah, there's a Father John Misty song all about uh, the Chateau it's kind of like, it has this mythic quality about it. And to go back to your point of this being like or oh, watching this film on a date it kind of feels like it could be very much like a litmus test to <laughs> a relationship, kind of like how you how you react to johnny marco's kind of way of life and kind of like by the end of it if you're kind of like oh he's he's turned his back on like a good a good thing as it were do you know what i mean this kind of party boy lifestyle Then kind like, i mean maybe that's not the guy i should be dating uh, <laughs> but um yeah so yeah kind of like uh, unpack this like one of the one yeah I've watched it. Th- I watched this for the first time about five days ago, and even mm. like w- I've w- watching it twice in kind of like a short amount of time. And I guess it's the the nature of watching a film in in an analytical sense as well. You you pick mm. up on some some really interesting things, f- and it's a film that I kind of put the word out to people on Twitter to kind of say like, "Oh, w- what do you think about this film?" And it kind of seems to be like the general consensus that either people this is like the one Sophia coppola film people haven't seen or they will say like i like yourself like i watched it at the cinema didn't really get on with it and then kind of on on revisiting it you kind of like you, you've realized that there there's something to it and like kind of yeah when i first watched it i was a bit like because I didn't know what to expect, I kind of had this thing of like, it's just a bit of like, it's a bit plodding. It's a bit of like a hangout movie essentially, because it's kind of like Stephen Dorff. Just you, know, you don't really get any dialogue for the first fifteen minutes. You kind of get people saying things, but nothing of any 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 note. It's just kind of like Chris Pontius being like, "Oh man!" Like when he when he falls down the stairs, or kind of yeah people saying hey johnny and you cut but like i think on the second view in that 15 minutes you kind of you get to you get to really know who he is through this fantastic portrayal by Stephen steven yeah what do you make of uh yeah. steven dorf's portrayal of of johnny marco in this
1: i thought he was Really, really good. Uh, A a very authentic performance Mm -hmm. that, on the, you know, as you describe, um, I thought was very thoughtful, and the the performance really uh, hinges on the details. This very subtle performance, um, because on the surface, it just looks like a guy living a very like luxurious lifestyle. And pretty much obtaining whatever he wants on a whim, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you're thinking, okay, well, who cares? Like, why is that <laughs> of any material like interest or value to anyone? But it's actually the contrast of this luxurious setting um, that, that sits kind of really in direct opposition to the emptiness of his day-to-day existence um like he's very rich and successful but he's sort of trapped in this existential crisis um and we we kind of follow him um, it's almost like a kind of follow me around style like youtube format of you know like that kind of meme of my life in a day kind of thing and but then the fact that we see him interact you know he's having to like kind of care for his 11 year old 11 year old daughter um, who's played by Elle Fanning and he, she's kind of in his care at the hotel and they spend time together and her presence sort of helps him in a way, kind of accept his adult responsibility. Like she mm-hmm. sort of grounds him a little bit emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just find that like, I guess what's really thrilling to, to discover about this film is that it it sort of captures um a philosophical boredom that the french call ennui which is kind of dis- described as the the bane of the bourgeoisie you know they're so rich and they can, they have everything at their disposal and they're so privileged and yet they they still feel numb and empty you know so and i i just feel like she tells that story really well um because this this place, the chateau, is um, a kind of paradise of excess. You know, everything is offered to him. Um, he has all the opportunities in the world. And yet we see him sometimes talking to his ex on the phone. And he says, I'm nothing. I'm not even a real person. Like he says that towards the end. And it's kind of devastating mm-hmm. to have this lack of personhood right at the center of this kind of like oasis of everything you ever wanted (laughs) um you know you know the scene when he um like when this is my favorite scene (laughs) when he attends the special effects department and his face is covered in latex and then you know that's
0: that's one of the moments i really wanted to talk about because oh yeah Sophia coppola mentioned that a lot of screenings when she first showed that like uh, her friends and stuff like that would would laugh at laugh at that scene. But I find it like it's terrifying. Yeah. Because it, it that slow zoom acts almost like it's like something out of a horror film. It's like yeah. kind of like it really just shows you how kind of lonely he is. And it it's it's really interesting because that that shot has a real slow zoom and it's kind of mirrored later in the film when him and Clio are sat by the poolside um yeah. you get like a slow zoom out and it's kind of like you kind of get that thing of like like a, a, a flower closing up like his world is coming in in that wow. kind of as he's encased in that uh plaster and then as he starts to kind of like i don't know he, he the, the he starts to blossom almost through this kind of experience he's had like re- reconnecting or or connecting for the first time with his daughter from what yeah it looks like, because because you get that like you get really telling moments and just to keep it within the couple of family there's that, that first scene you get between him and Cleo at the ice rink like oh, yeah. it's, it, it, it perfectly reminds me of Rocky and that kind of first <laughs> scene you get between Rocky and Adrian when they go on that date and they they go to an ice rink and it's oh yeah um, it's, it's, Using that setting and it tells you everything you need to know about those, like, the pairs of characters, whether it's Rocky and Adrian or whether it's Johnny and Cleo because mm-hmm. you could tell he's he's been in her life but he hasn't been present. He's kind of, like, he's been eyes down at his Blackberry just kind of going through the motions of, of being a father without actually, like, paying mm-hmm. a real... A real vested interest and like she kind of like undercuts it when she kind of says like he says like you're really good he's like how long have you been doing that it's like three years and you yes. re- that i think that's when you really get that sense that yeah that he he hasn't really like this is like you said this is the kind of on the precipice of of possibly like a new stage of 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 his life but yeah to to double mm-hmm. back to that um to that scene with the kind of uh cast at the visual effects um studio yeah what 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 were you going to what were you going to say about that Mary?
1: yeah no i i'm so um interested in what you shared that's so fascinating and yeah i totally agree with you that that shot does feel like it it, it has seems to have horror connotations mm-hmm. to it because it is kind of horrific to feel almost like claustrophobia, you know, in this space where you're, you know, you're told every day, like the world is your oyster. You have everything at your disposal. And yet he really is sort of lacking in autonomy because he has handlers, you know, they make his decisions about like his day-to-day meetings and whereabouts. And he's not kind of completely free to do just anything he wants. Like he... He, he is very much chained to a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels very claustrophobic like he's encased in this plaster. And as you say, the slow like zooming in of the camera. Um, I I I, th- I'm, I' I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling that that scene might have been what sealed um, the award at the Venice Film Festival because Sophia got the Golden Lion for <laughs> this for this film. Which,
0: um, yeah, for some, which doesn't come without its kind of controversies, because obviously a lot of people like, <laughs> were up in arms about that because she had, she had at one point dated Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's great that even this film that kind of like dissects the kind of I don't know, like the the vanity of Hollywood and kind of it has its own little kind of like TMZ esque story yeah. to it of like people like. Gossiping about, oh, she only, and, and and it kind of, I don't know, it kind of, it it almost says something against the kind of uh Hollywood's treatment on the yeah that that instant like talks. Mm-hmm. They almost says something about kind of treatment uh, treatment of female directors and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's like, well, watch the film. It it clearly it clearly does have something to say, and it's why should it be that because she dated quentin tarantino yeah she got the golden Lion. sorry to interrupt
1: no no not at all (laughs) i i absolutely yeah i'm with you it's it's it is interesting that this is a film about the kind of inner workings of hollywood and the emotional landscape of hollywood and then her win and her also being the first ever like american woman to win the golden lion also kind of seems to carry this like mini drama like yeah. <laughs> gossip, gossip, magazine, drama level of um, kind of oh it's just because she, you know, I mean, she's had to fight accusations of nepotism her entire life, even when yes. she first emerged on the scene as a director. I mean, it's interesting because her early interests were not even film at all. Like she was um, interested in fashion, photography, okay. music and design. But then she read uh, in the 90s, she read um. I mean, she had made like a short film initially, and then she read uh, Jeffrey Eugenides' book, The Virgin Suicides, and then she was really incentivized to pursue film at that stage. And she said that the the film medium um, kind of united all of her other interests together. She was able to kind of engage directly with everything she loved in one medium. So it was kind of everything coalesced in film
0: you know yeah 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 and like to 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 the point of yeah and it's i think it's that case as well with with that kind of how how the virgin suicides came about and that she kind of like said i think it was in production right and they said like the she's like i've got a script let like really like give me give me a chance and i know like it's it's been joked about on this podcast already which i'm sure <laughs> i joked about it before but obviously the the coppola family is kind of like not like famously known for for nept even if they change their names to cage like they will still kind of dip their toe back into the nepotism pool at any given chance but um kind of like one of the things i wanted to talk about this this yeah with this film it's a kind of like portrayal of the fragile fragility of like the male ego and i mm. like I'm, i personally think there's like an a one shot like well one moment that really kind of like says it all and it's like the the little box he has to stand on when he has the photo <laughs> shoot with uh, michelle monaghan and it's like it's it's, it's those things that love see like the, the the every yeah the everyday person the kind of cinema goer wouldn't really know that unless you're in the know would know that that happens and it's kind of like it's it's an amazing like i don't know this film manages to tell you so much by like not really like flag posting anything it's kind of like it's just there and then you kind of like it's like well it's left up to you to to pick up what what that kind of stuff means and it's yeah yeah oh wow
1: yeah absolutely well spotted (laughs) i laughed so much um (laughs) As well, like <laughs> because just because it was, as you say, it was never directly addressed. It was just there, and and it was also taken for granted by everyone in the scene. So everyone kind of is like the manufacturer's consent from everyone that you know he has this um or this character, you know, this persona of Johnny Marco, the the film star, um, is almost something that has been imposed on this man, mm-hmm. whether he likes it or not. And he has to live up to a certain standard of yep, the, the, yep. the male lead in a film. And it's embarrassing because now he has to like become a cliche, mm-hmm. but he has no choice. Like that is the, the structure of the machine and he has to play into it. He has his role to play inside the film and outside the film and promoting the film like he, he can't be seen as the short short person standing next to his female lead you know like and 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 maybe that's also part of his crisis that he's he finds it like increasingly humiliating to play this part
0: well, um you, you get the yeah. idea that he's playing he's just playing this kind of part of being this hollywood bad boy because even like <laughs> and, and other people are controlling his life because yeah. even when like he's kind of like you get yeah he's old school friend kind of like uh played by chris pontius you he's like oh he turns up to his apartment at the chateau Momente, and he's like you're having a party and it's like <laughs> his apartment's just filled with all these people and you kind of get like the ellie kempner character as is like pa like you're doing this you're doing that and it's he's like got these wake-up calls to tell him like you're supposed right. to be here right now, like, and it's he, as much as he might want to go out and drive his his sports car, he's really not in the driving seat. And it kind no. of like it, it 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 gets very literal near the end when that that sports car breaks down. And I think like near near the time when he realizes, oh, maybe I'm not in the driving seat of of yeah. what's going on in my own life. And um, yeah, there's. I think the, the the well probably the film's biggest central question, and it's it's quite nice of Sofia Coppola to be quite literal with it when at that press conference. Again, that has this kind of weird like I don't know it's it's weird tension to it of all these. I don't know. I think it's just the idea of like lots of people asking me questions at once. I, I find <laughs> that scene unsettling. But like one of the um one of the journalists asks who is johnny marco and i th- think that that's possibly what this film is about right
1: absolutely yeah exactly because he doesn't even know like he <laughs> you know he, he he's pressed to, a- to answer that and he has no um kind of like on message on brand answer anymore like he it's kind of the paradox of being styled by the studio system, by his handlers, you know, by this by the whole machine, as a bad boy, mm-hmm. and ultimately, like he hasn't had the freedom to uh, actually live out that that reputation in its fullest sense um and in, and I think one of the best things about this film is that it really balances those quite heavy kind of existential question marks with some quite like absurd almost comical mo- moments you mm-hmm. know where things are happening and it, it's it's kind of hilarious um, like, especially when he's in italy like the the scene when the funniest moment for me in this is in, the, in this movie is when he's presented an award at an italian award ceremony And he's like, he goes up on the stage and the performers, there's like a singer and dancers and it's all so camp and over the top. Mm -hmm. And it really clashes with his aesthetic of being a bit like, you know, morose or kind of just going through the motions of being a Hollywood star. (laughs) It's just this over the top kind of performance. It seems so weird and kind of, in a way, also fitting a pattern of, character, you know, characters that find themselves in a cloistered existence in Sophia's films, you know? She, mm-hmm. I mean, she probably, as a kid, uh, went to an award ceremony with her dad, probably in Italy, where he was presented an award, and, you know, Francis Ford Coppola went on the stage, and there were yes. very camp mm-hmm. dancers, <laughs> you know, like, uh, prancing around on stage, and it just would have been this huge contrast between them and this very serious man and i i have to admit i laughed quite a lot imagining <laughs> that scenario of
0: by some accounts you like he would have loved it by like by, by some <laughs> of like, some of some of the things you, you you read about him i'm not sure how how true they are if you mm. if you, you want to go by uh, Peter Bizkine's uh, Easy Riders Raging Bulls. Like, he, he was apparently a bit of a dog back in his day. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's the... So so maybe that, that series we're getting about the about the, the making of The Godfather, the drama won't just be the studio don't want Marlon Brando. And then that's the kind of, like, tension of the, the series. But that, that kind of time in Italy is kind of there is real senses of like levity because it, it almost becomes home alone two, like <laughs> when they're like they're living like kind of kids would and there's there's almost like that mirroring of that moment in home alone two where he's watching trash tv in this yeah. case they're watching friends in friends. italian and they're, they're 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 eating gelato whereas kevin McAllister would be eating some kind of like ice cream sundae yeah. with or all, 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 all the trimmings and it's 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 a great and, and to the to your point and and I think why it makes that scene at the award ceremony so funny is the scene we get before it with mm. so um Johnny has kind of like you assume as like hooked up with an old flame from Italy and there's that scene across the kind of breakfast table oh, and yeah. he's kind of like these looks you get between him and cleo and that i I think that that kind of at the award ceremony it's like a, a element of catharsis to it because it's you yeah. get that like the joy in cleo's face as she kind of gets to see her dad like <laughs> humiliated almost do you know what I mean because you can kind of see how awkward he is up on that stage and it, it's like well you have like she, it's almost like she's saying like well you put me in these awkward situations all the time. Like you get that impression from, and it, it's a testament to Elle Fanning's um, uh, acting and, and the kind of chemistry her and Stephen Dorff have. Like the, mm-hmm. those looks they kind of give each other, especially the kind of like disapproving looks and you kind of get the impression that she has, she's possibly sat at hundreds of yes. breakfast tables with, hundreds of different women like that are, and it's kind of like you kind of get that look of like really again are you putting me through this again and then like yeah it's kind of that cathartic release you get and it's the the look of joy on her face when he's up on that stage it's like it makes it even ev- even better because it's kind of i don't know it's almost like the film takes a shift into kind of you realize this is subtly like not just johnny marco's story it's it's also Cleo's story as well. Yeah,
1: kind of, right? absolutely. Um, yeah, exactly. She's in a, you know, in the same way that he's in this liminal stage later in his life, mm-hmm. she is also at a liminal stage just by virtue of being an, a kind of a, a a young, you know, like teenager or, or, or near, near teenager, you know, like um, she's also going through like a transformative phase in her life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's the thing, like, she's like so there, there's like moments in this you can't like you you see cleo cooking and it's like because she's 11 years old it's like i don't think i could have made macaroni <laughs> cheese or eggs benedict to like the kind of um to the standard that she does like at, at, at 11 and it's a lot, there's another like again another brilliant like mirrored scene where you get this um Almost mirroring of the kind of breakfast scene in Italy, but it's eggs Benedict, and it's the familial situation she kind of has at the chateau where it's her dad, his mate, and her. And like, it's nice to see that juxtaposition between those two those two scenes. Like, do you mean because it's like that's where she feels at home with this kind of like goofball who's I don't know. Yeah, I think like Chris Pontius is. It's great in this, somebody who's obviously known for, I don't know, prancing around in a thong most of the time and uh, <laughs> fighting with alligators and jackass. So, what do you, yeah, like, what what do you, what do you kind of make of that? I know he's kind of only popped up for a few scenes, but uh, his, his performance in this film. Yeah, I thought um, he was
1: there when, was he there when they were playing Guitar Hero?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah
1: because i found that whole scene really interesting actually because mm-hmm. the song that they were performing was um the it was at the police
0: mm-hmm.
1: um what was it called so lonely is or at least that's the chorus l- lyrics no, no, that
0: that that is that is the yeah that is the song is so lonely yeah
1: <laughs> like, I find that really interesting. Like, I, when I heard that song while I was researching for the Freud Museum and, you know, I had called my course the Cinema of Loneliness and that song suddenly came out in, in the middle of that scene, I thought, I felt like a little bit vindicated. <laughs> so it's just like those happy coincidences. But it's kind of like a, I feel like it does speak to the experience of all of these characters that they're kind of, by nature by by virtue of the fact that they're li- leading the lives that they do um they do end up just spending a lot of time alone mm-hmm. and which is probably why cleo is as good as she is you know um preparing meals like she, it's almost like she's had to grow up a little bit faster than the average 11 year old she's had to assume this kind of like nurturing role maybe for uh, her mom, or probably, or definitely for her, like kind of satellite parent, who is Johnny Marco, um, and so that mirroring of the the previous scene with the breakfast, you know, the breakfast at the ho- at the other hotel in Italy, um, it's kind of like this, maybe like an unconscious effort um, on her part to, you know, figure in in her father's mind. Largely as someone that, that he can turn to, that maybe, you know, maybe, you know, it's like a way of communicating that she's there for him in a, maybe in a parallel way to his impulse of like relying on strange women, you know, she, she can just, she can, she can fulfill like a familial function for him. That's maybe a little bit more emotionally, um, you know, valuable, maybe more, more significant or just more enduring. Um, but also like just the guitar hero and everything and his relationship with this male friend. Um, <laughs> I think it just, it to me, it just speaks to this kind of friendship who's that is like very much almost like developmentally stunted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, like where yeah. people, there's like a failure to launch into real life so people in this stage are just kind of perpetually stuck Mm -hmm. at a phase where they haven't fully evolved like they haven't gone through maybe normal events normal life events that would lead them to become just more well-rounded and maybe well-adjusted so they always you know you all often will find them just kind of being very juvenile Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah and you kind of get that like you almost like get it because he's like telling like Cleo stories, and he's very much like on her level, and he's like yeah. Like there's this kind of blurring of the lines where it's like he's almost like telling her. It's, it's like he's still a teenage boy where he's like yes. trying to impress her almost by telling her stories of like oh. alcoholic uh, dance teachers. But uh, like, do you know what I mean like like you kind of would if you had like an older cousin and you yeah. kind of see them at a barbecue? And like, oh, let me tell you this and um to. Yeah, and a couple of points on some things you mentioned. Obviously, like, the next song that's played on Guitar Hero is 20th Century Boy by um, T-Rex, which kind of, like, almost uh, just that title alone uh, gives the impression that, like, I don't know, because you get this idea that, like you said, about the Chateau Mamont, you're either there on the way up or or the way down, that... Yeah. (laughs) Johnny Marco is is possibly like he could have been, do you know what I mean, like big shit, like in in the twentieth century. But now now it's kind of we're ten years into the twenty first <laughs> century, and he's kind of he is a twentieth century boy. He's like do you know what I mean. Wow. Like you could imagine like like almost like I don't know. I guess I I guess comparison to to character you can. And and people speculated that like Nick Cage is somebody who Johnny Marco could be based on on this wow. kind of thing. Wow! And, and Sophia Coppola said like one of the things that she drew from uh, Nick was his he he he's always known in the family to own sports cars, and I, I believe at one point lived at the chateau. And there's that weird. She said she'd always remembered that weird thing that. If you if you wanted to properly drive your car, you had to go out to a track. So that's kind of the thing she she drew from that. And um uh-huh. to the point you mentioned about um the kind of familial thing with uh, Cleo and stuff like that. A great scene that I find portrays their relationship. Uh is that when they first arrived to Italy and like he's kind of like dragged up in front of like the camera to kind of give that really Peppy like TV interview, and she's kind of like (laughs) like for want of a better like way of looking at she's she's almost like looking over her glasses like over her Sudoku kind of like laughing at him, and he just looks he looks bewildered, and she kind of like it's in that moment you realise like she's got her shit together, yeah. He doesn't know what the fuck is going on, like he is just like he is lost, and it's it's he's almost being yeah this this film is like. In in this time, he's being brought up by her, and it's a weird like role reversal, and it's yeah. Like, I, I I've got like a I don't know a a weirdly like per like I guess on a second watch when he delivers that line about like like I'm my like like my life's going nowhere and I'm nothing I, like de- definitely like as a parent I can like mm-hmm. I, I can definitely understand that and it's that thing of like I don't, I don't have all the money like uh a Johnny Marco but like I could probably feel it like it, it, do you know what I mean but it's like and it's I don't know it, it kind of gives like it makes it personal and kind of relatable in that factor like you saw, I don't know you sometimes think like oh yeah if I had more money like that would make things better and stuff like mm-hmm. that and it's like i guess it's that thing that like he realizes that like he's just made the mistakes of his daughter and it's said she's in that kind of she's in that stage of moving into adolescence and he he hasn't he hasn't really been there like for her and it's kind of like there's like kind of stages like developmental stages like in the the one kind of uh Parenting book I read about that thing of like children like kind of as they get to teenage years, they don't they don't really need their parents anymore. It's that Mm. thing of like you kind of find yourself. uh, I know I I found it. I'm not sure about yourself, but like when you Mm. get to like being a teenager, you you look for like role models outside of your family. Do you know what I mean? It's like like yes, the classic thing like when you're a teenager, it's like all of a sudden you've like idolized these people. Like, do you know what I mean? It's kind of been their way, and then you realise like they don't they don't fucking know shit. And <laughs> I think like that's that's what Johnny Marcos realised and I think that's kind of what he means by that. Like it, it, is it a, all all a little too late and like the fact that yeah. he, even when he's kind of learned learnt his lesson, as it were, like he can't tell her how he really feels. It has to be like kind of shouted over the sounds of a helicopter and it's mm-hmm. like what is more kind of i don't know a a, a look at like, like the the celebrity getting in the way of human connection in that fact that like he's just taken her to vegas he's, t- he's taking her to camp but they they had to get a, a helicopter <laughs> and it's like whereas like he it could have been like a nice moment and it's like well that that life is getting in the way and it's like she's already opened up to him saying like you're gone all the time and it wow and 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 obviously like he yeah even 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 knowing that he can't say to her like i think the line the line he delivers is um sorry i haven't been around and it's yeah. like he can he can't even he can't even say that to her do you know what I mean? and it's even i don't know even in the later stages of this like he's still looking for uh bit, i don't know, like distractions do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. he had that he had that perfect opportunity like in that kind of interim between you you you, you, you get the moments like mm-hmm. you obviously like i don't, I don't know but it's yeah, you get you get that yeah. beautiful scene scene around the pool, and like I think I think that's like a thing of filmmaking, and it's, it's it's really interesting with this film. I'm not sure if you've picked up on it, but the the soundtrack is like 90 percent all like diegetic music, like yeah. nothing is score or play played over the top bar kind mm. of three songs. It's the the two Phoenix tracks that mm. kind of bookend the film. And then that, like Julian Casablancas, like Strokes demo you get, and in, in that scene around the pool, like yeah. Well, do you think that kind of the that only using diegetic music? Do you think Sofia Coppola is trying to tell us, just trying to say something with that?
1: I do. I think that it, um, you know that that sound design and that decision to include predominantly diegetic music Mm -hmm. is a constant reminder that, you know, the lifestyle that he leads, uh, you know, drives him. And it's, you know, there is no kind of, for him, there's no real escape. Like he's kind of, it's kind of like you, what you said about, um, his relationship with his daughter, like his, his fame and celebrity status is almost like a driving a wedge between them. Mm -hmm. But I would, I would go as far as to say that it's driving a wedge between, you know, his ideal self and his real authentic self. And, you know, he is completely cut off from social interactions. He's sort of hiding out in plain sight. Mm -hmm. Um, He's had to, you know, that's the kind of survival mechanism of his job. It's like an occupational hazard but he's got so used to that coping mechanism of almost being an avoidant type mm-hmm. that when he is trying to locate himself, like the question, who's Johnny Marco? It's like um, it's, it's it, the, the silence is deafening. Like he has no answer to that. It's um, I feel like she is, you know, Sophia, she's kind of returning to a lot of the themes that were dealt with in lost in translation, you know, celebrity mm-hmm. and the little quirks that happen in foreign countries, you know, with like miscommunication, people speaking a language and you're like, they're creating a reality that you, you're you not really a part of. Mm-hmm. And I think that ultimately here in somewhere, the miscommunication is based on the foreign language of celebrity. And he's, you know, he is he's cut off from that discourse ultimately because he's not really invested in it anymore. He's sort of playing along, but you can almost see a lot of the things that he's doing is on almost autopilot. Mm -hmm. Like he's just going through the motions. He's, he knows what he has to do. He knows, he knows his marks, he knows where to stand, you know? Um, And everyone is always kind of catering to him. Um, But ultimately he's just growing more and more detached from his family but also from himself um (laughs) uh yeah i like the scenes at the pool Mm -hmm. um were were great because it just sort of like it almost looks a bit like an outdoor prison to me (laughs) yeah
0: yeah well like the the chateau itself as well like that's like fascinating as it is. It's not as like it's not as like luxurious. as no. like, do you know what I mean? It's like you kind of I don't know if you if you've never yeah if people listening have never like kind of seen photos of it. It kind of I don't know. It's it's an oddity, right? It's like yeah. <laughs> It, 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 yeah, it is like the, the the Cecil Hotel for celebrities, basically, yeah. instead of criminals. Like it's kind of like uh, I get that, that. That that's in the zeitgeist. People, people, people get that. It's kind of yeah. That's it's, it's 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 just very. I don't know. Yeah, and it does. It does, and the pool as well. It's like it's, it's a rinky-dink little thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It almost looks like you know because he's ultimately he's really just there because he's had a minor injury and he's trying to recover Mm -hmm. and but it just the whole thing just feels like a like a prison sentence like he's in and then the time he spends at the pool is just okay we'll let you out to get some sun you know like your daily dose of vitamin d have a little splash and frolic in the pool and then you're on the clock again you know it just it seems very um like regulated and monitored and um you know yeah i suppose i think the soundtrack aids and abets that you know like it just is a constant a little reminder there in the cinematic experience that um we're you know this is like a very like very highly managed lifestyle and we're kind of immersed in that
0: it's it's very like it's really interesting that that choice of song as well because obviously it's a it's, what, it's like a demo version, of yep. of, of, of a stroke song, and like yeah, the fact that it is the kind of one like uh, non-diegetic track in in the soundtrack really is is that thing of like I don't. Know, it's like you get like lost with the character, and it's like this is him experienced, like whole life, like that kind yeah. of like time with cleo around the pool and yeah that's when that kind of shot comes when it's those two on the sun lounges and it kind of pulls out mirroring that shot we got earlier with the kind of slow zoom in And like i said there it's that thing of like this is like you get a glimpse of like this is what life could be and it's not about the glitz and the glamour and the kind of like i don't know Women throwing themselves at you, and like, it's not about like empty human like connection. It's about real human connection. Like that is what like yeah he he longs for, and you kind of like you you, you get that impression that like yeah like it, that the kind of empty human like contact he's had when it whether it's like well you get that scene where he's like about he's like falling around with someone and he, he falls asleep or kind of like the two pole dancers he has come around to his apartment right. like he even looks bored by that and it kind of, goes <laughs> like i think that says so much to the thing of like celebrity that even like 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 you mentioned with the whole like the boredom of the, mm-hmm. the bourgeois and it's like that thing of like oh like i don't know i can have i can have everything but like even that's like oh do you know
1: but it's also like just the fact that they're identical twins it's not just one woman with a certain aesthetic Mm -hmm. it's her exact replica like her dna you know uh sort of double her doppelganger is there as well just kind of doubling down on the excess and greed of this very materialistic world that demands excess you know So it's like this very uncanny effect. They looked exactly the same. They're wearing the same outfit, doing the same moves. And it's it's almost it's very, it's almost like a like a cheerleader's rehearsal. Like it doesn't feel erotic. It just yeah. seems like it's just very sort of formulaic dancing. And it's it's I find it so funny because it is so awkward. Mm-hmm. Like he's bored, they're just performing, um, they're just doing their job. And then they're off and it's (laughs) but it it has to you know the the whole you know the the subtext is that it was intended to be erotic because of the kind of like uh porn aesthetics of of twins and yet it just you know it does it doesn't it's not effective and it's very uncanny
0: (laughs) i think that sophia coppola perfectly manages to like undercut it as well and the kind of like i don't know the way she kind of presents like nudity and things that kind of could be like ogled upon like that kind of like moment after they finished their dance to to Foo Fighters hero as well. It's a very like, it feels like that's his choice. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like, it's cause you kind of get that thing. He's wearing like, I don't know, black flag. T-shirt. He's got like a sub pop t-shirt. I don't even they that doesn't seem cool enough for him. It's kind of like they've, they've assumed that's what he would be into like
1: right slightly,
0: but then like that kind of like it's it's undercut with you just get that like shot of them packing away their poles and it's <laughs> like it really like shows you like how low like how lonely he is as well yeah. at the same time like that thing of like i don't know like yeah and it's it undercuts that whole thing of decadence and excess of like yeah but there's these real real life practical elements to it as well it's like if you want that kind of like service yeah service then like yeah there's going to be that kind of awkward five minutes where like somebody's do you know what I mean like unscrewing a pole and yeah, packing it, yeah. pack it into a, a, a nice little camp bag and like I don't yeah this it's, it's, it's so so interesting like yeah. it's kind of how how it as we've mentioned throughout how in the kind of small details you kind of learn so much about him and his psyche and i guess like even in the kind of like the like the final scenes of this when cleo's left she's gone to camp and he's there stacking up all of his kind of room service trays and you get that impression that like he's slowly like i don't know is he learning or like he's definitely slipped back into you you know in that that he's he's probably he's lost without her and he's slipped back into yeah. his kind of his old ways
1: i think that's it i think it's he's sort of um fallen prey to all habits but at the same time he has this kind of there's this new dimension of awareness that he didn't have before Mm -hmm. that become that really weighs on him and it's forcing him to like reassess certain things whereas before he was kind of like in a way he was just I don't know he was a bit more ignorant Mm -hmm. um he was sort of just like going through you know his daily life maybe not so burdened by that awareness but then when when he spends time with his daughter and upon her departure like suddenly he has you know this glimpse of something that he can't quite switch off at the ready you know he can't so readily and um what's interesting about Stephen Dorff is that like I think it's really good casting because he's he has been a bit of that kind of like heartthrob from the 90s that was yeah. seen a little bit as a bad boy and um I, I i maybe you already knew this but you know through uh this relationship like this working relationship with with steven dorff um he actually introduced sophia to paris hilton
0: oh, amazing no, yeah I didn't, I didn't know that yeah well there's kind of like there's some great like things around. It's obviously like seven million dollar budget, which it's kind of like next to nothing, really, in Hollywood terms. And the things around it, like Steven dorf li- well, I think he decided to live at the Chateau Marmont whilst making it, and yeah, he would take Elle Fanning, like he'd pick her up from school and like hang out yeah. with her, and and even the actress who plays um his ex partner, like uh, Cleo's mum, like they would go mm-hmm. out they would they would go out for dinner and stuff like that so there could be this like shared history like mm-hmm. for the characters but yeah sorry as as you were saying about about Paris Hilton which well I
1: would, yeah talk. I mean it's what's <laughs> interesting is that because I think that he um Stephen Dorff was quite like a figure in the kind of um and the Hollywood club scene that's how he met Paris Hilton and they genuinely became friends and what he And then Sophia met Paris through Stephen and she told her, you know, Paris Hilton told Sophia about um, her house being burgled because it had been not long um, ago that it had happened at the time. And that's when Sophia became interested in this uh, gang of burglars in Hollywood, (laughs) the so-called bling ring. (laughs) And because she became friends with Paris, she genuinely became friends with Paris through Steven. Um, Paris just said, if you want to use my house as a location for shooting, you're welcome to. Like you can shoot in my closet. You can shoot in the actual places where the robberies took place. So think? I think that's really cool that Sophia just, you know, didn't have like snobbery about her. I don't know how, too many other art film directors that would have become pals with Paris Hilton they probably would have just judged her as like a Hollywood bimbo you know
0: yeah I, well, I, I really like the idea as well that like she stuck to her guns with like uh even casting Stephen Dorff I know that she yeah. said like she wrote the script with him in mind and what 2010 like n- no offense to Stephen Dorff but he's not really like a kind of banner name like oh it's like long gone are the days of like him playing the bad guy in blade like yeah uh, like peak peak 1998
1: sexy
0: steven dorf yeah uh, yeah i know recent years he's kind of he got got a slight renaissance with uh true detective but like yeah you could imagine i don't know could you imagine anyone else playing that role of johnny marker and kind of Uh, like bringing that like because as you said he perfectly brings that like real life kind of um i don't know like it's not stunt casting as such but like Mm -hmm. he's got a lived experience of kind of a being that johnny marco type
1: yeah i'd be hard-pressed to find someone Mm -hmm. would have worked as well as he did like i feel like it was perfect casting um I think somebody like Johnny Depp might wouldn't have worked because he was just still too famous, mm-hmm. especially at the time with in the Parrots Caribbean, he was becoming more mainstream. Um Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think it really is. I mean, I'm trying to think of like Stephen Dorff's contemporaries. Um
0: Yeah, it's like he's kind of a uh, kind of a weird one, right? Because he's like yeah. It's like I I'm trying to think of his age. So he would have like he probably would have been a, like a, he, like I don't know, like um, I would I know He's he's too young to be like in the kind of Matt Dillon like yeah. world and stuff. Do you know I mean? Yeah, it's kind of that like I don't know, almost like a forgotten generation of actors. Yeah, I think, like yeah. Steve, Steve, yeah, Ste Well, Stephen Dorff's like perfect, and it's that thing of. I don't know. What do you make of the like the ending of this? Because I, I guess mm-hmm. like some people could look at it though. It's kind of got that thing of like the grandstanding. Like it's like that's it. Like I'm <laughs> I'm making pasta. I'm checking out. <laughs> I'm I'm driving my car and I'm kind of going kind to of walk off into the sunset. How do you read that ending? Like do you kind of see I mean, <laughs> cheesy it's... or is it is it is it no. Is it,
1: oh. I think it's radical I think it's so but I love how how almost inane and mundane it is and it's radicalism but it is radical because he's doing all the things that you know probably is going to piss off his agent and his publicist and some you know some heads are probably going to roll at the hotel or whatever but (laughs) you know what I mean but but in in that little world that he occupies at that time this character's kind of fictitious world that Um, probably has materialized and manifested many a times over in in, in real life Hollywood just walking off um, and eating basic food like that and you know those are kind of quite powerful (laughs) really powerful um, kind of actions and I I liked it. I thought it quite liberating, you know? And I just think that he's, it's kind of something there about him almost like living up to this reputation as for being unpredictable a little bit and having a little bit of a taste of that in real life. Um, But also kind of still bearing the, I guess the signs of this kind of faded glamour at the same time. Um, Because, and this kind of tortured beauty that's kind of, like the the bloom is a little bit off the rose um I, I like that because let's face it he's not like if he had just like thr- trashed the hotel room or something mm-hmm. and thrown the tv set out the window I mean that might have been the the caught the out ending mm-hmm. um but the fact that he he did what he did I think ultimately it's it's nice it kind of brings the film forth full, full circle for me
0: I think the thing that makes it really like, really like makes it for me is, is this again? It's a small moment. It's a, like just the, a wry smile that Stephen Dorff gives, like almost like to camera, uh-huh. then, like as the film ends, and it's like that thing of like, I don't know, it's like a wink to the audience, like yeah, f- like fuck this, and it, I don't know, it leaves you with as ambiguous it, it, as it is, it le- it leaves you with hope for yeah. kind of like. I don't, I don't know. Like, if if you if you if you feel it, like, do you know what I mean? Like, lost or anything like that. That you, as an audience member, can can find some kind of way out of it. Like, I don't know. And I, I don't. know, There's something kind of interesting and um, comforting about the fact of seeing somebody who is massively wealthy have somewhat of a bad time because it's like, yes. oh, you like. Oh great! Like it's like, do you know what I mean? It's like it's not like their lives are any better. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, I don't know. It's yeah. Everything comes with its own set of set of problems. It's like for, for I don't know. Yeah, for for, for so your man on the street, it might be uh, whatever. But for for Johnny Marco, it's 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 something completely different. um Yeah,
1: it's the things that make sense. The signifiers that have meaning within the kind of discourse that he's mm-hmm. in,
0: yes mm.
1: <laughs>
0: well, Mary, that is somewhere, and um now did you manage to find any coupler connections with this film any 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 kind of uh spider's web that link off to any other members of the coupler family
1: oh i i searched I searched for this one um <laughs> i <laughs> I've got to say I didn't find anything um, but maybe just a very tangential maybe as a very ten- tenuous link
0: I love the tenuous links That's really about. yes
1: okay but you're probably going to be like no this is way off base like I won't accept <laughs> <that."> <laughs> but I just felt that um, I, there's something there about him it kind of reminded me a little bit of the like Jason Schwartzman's character in Marie Antoinette, um, you know, where he plays Louis XVI. Yep. the Sixteenth and just kind of this this pattern of I guess, lovelessness or lack of eroticism in his life, mm-hmm. where he's just going through the motions and he's got all this excess, and in a way, nothing substantial is really materializing in his relationship. There's no intimate intimacy. It's mm-hmm. just this veneer of um of, of six you know of, of of like decadence um but obviously it's you know jason schwartzman is not in this film but i just felt like <laughs> there were very a, little, a few similarities maybe with that character but you see that's that's not with the real life person i couldn't find anything tell me what you found
0: so again i'll go with a ta- tangential connection to 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 the couple of family uh via steven Dorf. It okay. like was in a TV adaptation of The Outsiders, which was wow. adapted into a feature film by Francis Ford Coppola in 1983. So, That's like, nice. uh, which I, I, I find, like, and it's almost like that film is obviously, like, a coming-of-age thing, a uh, coming-of-age nice. film. So it would have been, like, a coming-of-age for a lot of those actors in 1983. Like, obviously, yeah. you would have had... um. Ralph macho you kind of would have had like even even down to like Tom Cruise and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Matt Dillon, a lot of their like first roles, and then it's kind of like the baton is passed down. Even though he's in it, he's in <laughs> one episode of the series. I'm still having it that the baton was passed to Stephen Dorff. Yeah, I like okay, that that's connection. much better.
1: <laughs> I, li- I like yours much better. Let's go with that. one
0: <laughs> And there's um yes, yeah, St- Stephen Dorff is also in um glimpse inside the mind of charles swan the third which is directed by roman coppola and he's yeah. in world trade center with nicholas cage he turns up as like a, a mm-hmm. paramedic at the end of that film And <laughs> again let's go real tra- uh real t- i don't know this one's this one's a bit of a, a reach but obviously chris pontius was a member of jackass uh, spike jones uh sophia coppola's ex-husband yeah was also a member of that cast and like a producer on jackass the movie who's wow used to used to get in old people makeup and kind of get his prosthetic balls out all over the place in in, in those movies <laughs> oh
1: my god that's amazing. So, so
0: I, I, I like to think as well that that's like that's how she knows him and it's that thing like you saying about uh paris hilton like yeah, let's think about Chris Pontius. Like, it's bold casting in a way because like a lot of people would see him as like just this joke, really. And to kind mm-hmm. of like, even though his character serves like a lot of the like kind of comic relief in this film, mm-hmm. he, like it is still an art movie. Do you know what I mean? And it's like yeah, yeah. he's not he's not there to be like i don't know like a clown and like honking his nose and kind of like marching about he 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 does have some i don't know the film has heft to it and it's i guess that could be yeah like cynical studio people could see someone like him as a risk and being like he's known for i don't know being in movies where people stick toy cars up their arse, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, whereas like she, she's probably like, well, I actually, I actually know him because my ex, my ex husband <laughs> or whatever, or kind of being in that LA scene would have, uh-huh. uh, yeah. yeah. and um, this, this felt, and what, what, w- one last thing I wanted to mention about uh, mm-hmm. some, I'm not sure if you knew this, is like, and I think it really, like, knowing this, because I kind of knew, like going into it a second time and it it really i don't know i thought i i, I thought i thought it was a really good way to look at the film it's, sophia coppola said she she like was living in paris at the time when she wrote this she mm-hmm. kind of had that like outsider's look and found like that thing of like la is fascinating and kind of said like in the 70s they had like there's a lot of like la films about la whether it's shampoo and then in the 80s you've got like american gigolo and she said like what does what does an la movie look like now and kind of wanted to almost like get the audience to forget about the camera but the film to almost be like what happens in one of those like um uh, what is it like reality tv shows once the cameras leave and i think like somewhere is a is that but like i don't know it's like it, it like yeah looking it through that kind of lens it really it, it, it i think i think it's really fascinating and kind of like i don't know like for people yeah people who kind of are listening to this and haven't uh i don't know like have have maybe written this one off or haven't haven't given it a chance obviously we've spoiled the film for you but if like <laughs> if, if what we said is uh has made any sense, and I think, like, kind of looking at it, yeah, from that kind of perspective, of yeah, like, might, might, I don't know, might help people to kind of get into it a bit more.
1: I agree. Yeah, definitely. I think this is uh, essential listening for people engaging with the film because, <laughs> um yeah, just because only because I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough, and mm-hmm. it sort of seems to fly under the radar. So. And it deserves a little bit of, um, like, dedicated attention and and, and analysis.
0: So, Mary, let's move on to a totally arbitrary scoring system I have for the film. Okay. What would be a perfect wine pairing for somewhere?
1: (laughs) Okay, I gave this a little bit of thought. I thought it had to be a California wine. And I ended up choosing the Screaming Eagle Cabernet Sauvignon, which is produced near the area of Napa Valley, California. And due to the small quantities produced and the high prices commanded for this bottle, it's considered a cult wine. And I just think that, you know, the cult of Hollywood Hmm. is, you know, (laughs) it's very powerful (laughs) and, you know, LA seems to really be a place that attracts a lot of cults as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it does seem like Johnny Marco is a, a little bit in a cult, like trying to escape, you know? <laughs> um, and this wine is just um, like it's a very decadent mm-hmm. and very luxurious wine. It's dark and bold and structured. It's a red, of course. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of—it's um, got lots of different flavor layers to it: currant, cassis, blackberries, and black cherry. That—that—that—that—that
0: that, 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 that is a fantastic wine pairing for this film. Uh, <laughs> I'm going—I'm going I'm to go very flippant and say that uh, a a bottle of uh, uh, sparkling Sophia would go perfectly with this. Uh because it because it actually yes. features in the film there is product placement by so yes, Coppola's own wine in the film and it's uh <laughs> i i i love that it's kind of like i'm making an art movie but where we like where we can uh let's get a bit of that product placement <laughs> in there. and i don't, I find like this film's interesting as well because it's almost like a, a bat on how this film is about uh fathers and daughters there's like this weird like um link background to like her her and her dad in that like through the casting of Elle Fanning, you get that thing like the baton has been passed to Sophia that she's now leading the way in cinema. In that like Yeah. The the next year, like uh yeah, Francis Ford Coppola made uh Twixed. Yeah. Yeah, with with Elle Fanning, and it's kind of like where, like I guess she would have been, and a lot of Hollywood would have been looking up to what he was doing. At yeah. this point, he was going, "Oh, what you found? Like, do you know what I mean you, you got that great uh, actor in your film? I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna have to use them." Um, yeah. But back to the wine. Uh, mm-hmm. Is the yeah, as you said, it's as it's, it's an. Exp- how much would you be willing to pay for this <laughs> bottle? This bottle of wine, a.k.a. Is it, a, is it a good, is this a good film or is it a bad film?
1: <laughs> oh, well, this is, this bottle is at the height of luxury and it goes for £2,859 per bottle. Wow. So wow. you can, that should be a vote of confidence for this film. I I, I am willing to pay. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie and I just think it's, it's my personal favorite from her, so um, I love it, and I would recommend it.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank. Like, thank you so much for picking this one, uh, Mary. It's been like, it's <laughs> it's great to like visit all of these films I've seen. There's films like in the the wider of family uh, filmography that I've seen, like this one, this one I, I haven't, and I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it's really set the kind of bar when talking about Sophia's couple of films like i don't know and it's yeah yeah it's like yeah and 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 to to speak yeah the the fact that you've come on like you like even just through talking to you like through stuff you said i've gone oh yeah shit like there is that in there and like like, things are awakening me and it's like it's definitely a film that like I will. I will definitely be revisiting. Maybe, maybe not for a, a year or so, just mm-hmm. because I've watched it twice in a week, and I feel like mm-hmm. I don't know. Like let's let's make some room for something else. But um, yeah. When talking about the Coppola family, here, yeah. here, again, here's a really stupid question: <laughs> If you had to remove all other member of the family, filmographies, but you only get to keep one member, who would you keep, Mary?
1: Well, it probably shouldn't go as a huge surprise that I would keep p- Sophia Kofala just Perfect. because I, <laughs> I do, you know, I have researched her quite um, deeply and watched her films many times and I have a very strong connection to them. I like that they're kind of unapologetically girly at times. I know she's, mm-hmm received some like criticism about that some people have accused her of being frivolous or just that her films are decorative and I just feel like that's extremely unfair and you know she doesn't feel the need to dilute her interest in femininity to kind of like appear serious um and I just I don't know I just feel like they they speak to me and I feel um, i'm almost i'm always interested to see what else she's gonna do and i think you know just just in general i feel like my aesthetic connects much more with her vision than other members of her family mm-hmm.
0: have have you seen on the rocks at all Is this...
1: yeah i i still have not i'm um, ah. have you seen it
0: <laughs> no i was just gonna ask you like where you would kind of uh how you would group that one because it seems again another interesting one that like how it seems to be like every other film she kind of or like she kind of keeps like backtracking slightly to re-cover yeah. some certain themes because obviously that's another film about a, a father-daughter relationship yeah. but seems to be like whereas somewhere is a film that looks at like her childhood and kind of like i guess at the time of this film coming out uh, mm-hmm. well writing this film yeah Sophia would have become a parent herself so probably mm-hmm. like in trying to I don't know in that thing of like you, you, w- yeah when you're presented with a child you're then like oh, I should probably like at the, I should probably figure out like or try and sort out some of the shit from my own childhood so yeah it's like <laughs> let, let, let's let write this film and then it's like um, yeah from what I know of on the rocks is this thing of uh, an ad like adult relationship between a a father and a daughter and like it's like again I guess and I know that she said it's it's probably like the one film that comes like the closest to her actual life like she she like the 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 Bill Murray character is kind of very much like the elements of Francis Ford Coppola and uh, his friends in in that character like so yeah, no. Just I, I, all I was going to ask you was mm-hmm. where would you, uh, where would you bracket it in the kind of, uh, like the, the films. Yeah, the kind of breakdown you did for the for the talk you did. But
1: I mean, just like I said, <laughs> I, I didn't include that one in my talk. Yeah, it was because it hadn't been released yet at the time <laughs> that I delivered the event. But having read a little bit about this movie and uh, seen the trailer. Um, I instinctually, I would probably group it together with, I guess, um, Lost in Translation, Mm -hmm. but only because of the Bill Murray connection, but I don't know yet whether maybe that's just a red herring kind of thing. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, the most important question on this podcast (laughs) uh, is, is, are are the Coppola family the greatest film family of all time, Mary?
1: (laughs) Okay, well, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say no, in my opinion. I don't know if that's no. committing like blasphemy on this podcast. I'm sorry.
0: No, it's but, fine. This is um uh,
1: and they're not I only maybe only because I haven't followed their uh, story and history as closely as I maybe I have some other <laughs> film families. My 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 favorite film families are the phoenixes so joaquin and river yes and the intergenerational screen sirens tippy hedron melanie griffith and dakota dakota, uh, dakota johnson
0: amazing amazing choices yeah obviously there's, uh, <laughs> there's some that, that like that again it's, it's a very it's a very arbitrary question and uh, <laughs> i guess i guess by the end of it well, I, I will i will well I probably won't re- realize or find out anything. It's just kind of—it's uh, interesting, yeah. It's, it's interesting to find, and and it feels like in in regards to like cinema itself. Yes, it, it almost seems like a a uh, a dumb question to ask because it's like there's so many of the copplers who have done stuff in film. Yeah, like, it's like as you said, like that, like three generations. It may be that there's like like in each generation one to two people who work in film Whereas, like yeah. the couple of family tree is just like even people who like marry in yeah like jack swartzman like yeah. was uh like a lawyer or like an agent before mm-hmm. he married uh, t- uh like talia and then and then started producing films so it's like kind of like i don't know some kind of like They're taken to to Carmine at the time when he he would have been alive or now they're taken to Francis and it's like you're in the family. He he gives the kiss on the hand and says... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Even if you look at um, Spike Jones, like his his kind of like... I I could imagine something similar to that opening scene of of the wedding at at The Godfather of like you're now in the family his his being john malkovich do you know what I mean like 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 you, you you've made your skate videos you've made your do you know what I mean you've made some music videos like have a feature on us right <laughs> yeah, this
1: hipster coming into the family like <laughs> yeah oh my goodness no i love questions like that i'm <laughs> honestly like this this is my kind of question um if anything i've i like I'm, I'm going to walk away from this uh, recording today with so much information about the Coppola that's really intrigued me. <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to... I'm looking forward to the rest of your series, actually, because I feel like I'll really learn about the various members and their roles. And it's, it's, I'm, I guess I've just really taken for granted how many of them there are and how, how active they've been in the film industry. So it's fascinating.
0: I recently, like just yeah designed like a family tree just so i can give like, a, <laughs> a visual representation to 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 listeners of like who i'll be covering and like who i won't be covering in, in the family yeah. And then, like, as i was doing it i was going like "There's just so, like and as i've been compiling <laughs> this series going, there's just so many people like Absolutely. yeah it's like even even when you get to like the the Schwartzmans, like yeah they're in biotechnicality but uh, john swartzman is so yeah jack swartzman's son from his first marriage he's like a dop and has done everything from like pearl harbor armageddon wow. the um the rock so all the michael bay stuff and his the jurassic park like the jurassic world and oh my god 50, 50 shades dark and 50 shades deeper as well or like like do you know what I mean like he said like so like there's just these the, the the tentacles and the spider's web really really is i don't know I, I keep saying it on the podcast by the end of this i'm essentially gonna look like charlie <laughs> from that episode of yeah um, it's always sunny like with 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 the, with the string and the the pins wow. on a cor- yeah on a cork board going so, so this person is linked to this person in that way, like so. Uh, yeah, like yeah, it's, uh, c- craziness and um, fantastic. If, to, to take away one thing, if, if if you don't know the story of how Nicholas Cage and Patricia Arquette got together, mm-hmm. for, for for you, Mary, and people listening at home, please do uh, Google that because there's an amazing like late night talk show uh, appearance from patricia arquette where she oh. tells that story and it is it is absolutely baffling and wonderful all at the same time um before i let you go mary i must ask you possibly the most important question um, mm-hmm. the real the real answer i'm trying to get through doing this podcast <laughs> What the hell does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation?
1: Okay, I'm I firmly believe that he says and I quote, "Enjoy yourself. It's later than you think."
0: Okay, what how, how did how did have you how, how did you come to that conclusion?
1: Because I just find that, that that's like a very funny line to me um and just because a lot of the times that they spent in that movie was like, they seemed very angst ridden and he probably spent, he probably feels like he's wasted too many hours being glum. And he now he's, he, he has a chance to pass on a a little bit of like practical advice to this young person. And I think that's the secret of the universe, you know, like that is, you know we've we wasted too much time already let's just have some fun
0: <laughs> perfect okay. yeah that's a, that's an amazing answer and i can't wait to can't wait to compile all of these some 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 have been serious some have been uh very very very, very silly um yeah i, I can't mm-hmm. wait to kind of maybe i get to the answer of what he does say um mary <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, coming on and yeah, making some joining some dots and making some couple of connections with me.
1: Pleasure! Thank you for inviting me. It's been a real blast being here. I've really enjoyed (laughs) talking
0: to you. So before I let you go, where can people keep up to date with everything you're doing, whether it's your courses, um, the Projections Podcast, or anything else? Uh,
1: The best way to find me is to follow me on social media. I'm at PsychStar. P-S-Y-C-S-T-A-R on Twitter and Instagram. And I tend to post uh, about my upcoming events, th- th- my courses and everything on Twitter. Um, Instagram is just a bit of fun, really. Um, lots of memes. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, of course, I co-host uh, the Projections Podcast with with Sarah Cleaver. And we're going to be covering a Nicholas Cage uh, film in our next In our sixth series, actually, which is coming up, we're uh, on the double, and we're going to be talking about
0: face off. Amazing, amazing. Well, uh, as I said in the intro, like genuinely, projections is one of my favorite uh, podcasts to listen to, and I think it's your episode on Fight Club. Yeah, um, left me like picking my jaw up. (laughs) I think it was especially your. your kind of like reading of the film and that kind of idea. Well, I I won't spoil it for people listening. Yeah, but do do yeah do 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 be sure to listen to uh, that episode and, and all the episodes of projections. Thank because you so it's, much. No worries. And you, yeah, uh, I think one of the the only times I've like left the house to go anywhere, I had to <laughs> go to Hobbycraft to pick up some yarn, and I listened to your Army Hammer episode. Oh. And it's probably like the most surreal, uh, one of the most surreal moments in a, what can be a very surreal era yeah. in, in people's lives. But yeah, it's, again, yeah, it's, it's fantastic stuff. Thanks Again, you. Mary, thank you so much. Pleasure. You. There we have it, guys. My chat with the always fantastic mary wild i always have such a joy talking to mary um i don't know such an insightful and such an amazing voice if anyone has a voice for podcasting not the not to not, not in the disparaging a face for radio uh kind of way um yeah mary is a a a lovely lady that pause was me just trying to dart around the fact that i nearly insulted a previous guest which is not my intention at all um and yeah just not make it worse myself in the process of doing so um i hope you enjoyed revisiting that episode um it was I was I was a lot more fresh behind the gills. The audio quality might not be as good as it is these days, but that's the way things shake down sometimes. I hope you, yeah, I hope you got something out of it. If it's your first time visiting the podcast, because this is back in the feeds and back uh, doing the rounds on social media, please do take your time to listen to stuff in the back catalogue. There's plenty of great stuff in there. Let's just. Um, I talk about some sophia coppola stuff in there so in the back catalog i think we have only got one other sophia coppola film uh, off the top of my head which is the virgin suicides which is not that far back in the feed so just scroll back maybe five or six episodes and you'll be able to hear my conversation with the one and only james king all about that film again another fantastic story and james has had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Sophia many times so he's got some great stories about that as well. Um yeah, check out that and uh, there'll be plenty of Sophia to come. Happy belated birthday to Sophia. We are all looking forward to the present you'll bestow upon us hopefully later this year, maybe early next year with Priscilla. Um it's always a joy when there's a new Sophia Coppola film on the horizon and we look to much um as for next week on the podcast i'll be diving back into the archives for another uh, re-release just because as i mentioned in the intro things are pretty heavy with recording getting to you which yeah if you're not already follow us on twitter and instagram which is defoe pod on both of those two be there for when that pod starts which uh, you'll hear about on this feed on that feed all over the place wherever me and daryl are uh, as we yeah release a trailer and let you know the date that that journey commences don't worry i know i'm talking about another podcast this podcast isn't going anywhere i will still be giving you plenty of copla connections goodness until this goddamn journey is done and then maybe move on to something else who knows who knows maybe maybe uh two two kind of all-encompassing filmography podcasts is too much for one man but we will find out in due time as always guys if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the podcast please do head on over to apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you're listening to this right now leave a five star rating and review and as always in your review keeping it on a sofia coppola tip let me know what bill murray says to scarlett O'Hansen at the end of lost in translation so as always i've been petrus pat your guide through the crazy world of the coppola family tree remember to keep it caged in and i'll catch you next week It's family.